2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Press This WordPress Community Podcast on Webmaster Radio. This is your host, David Vogelpole, and I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This. As a reminder, you can subscribe on iTunes or iHeartRadio, and as always you can download the latest episodes of press this at webmasterradio.fm. In this episode we're going to be discussing how to win with B2B e-commerce. That's right, it's different than B2B B2C e-commerce and during this episode we're going to be interviewing Alex Lugash. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome. We're glad to have you here. And uh, just as a recap for everybody, we're going to be talking again about B2B e-commerce strategy and basically kind of answering the question, do you treat all e-commerce sites the same? Um, B2B e-commerce sites have different types of transactions. There's different types of billing options and funnels, and those are all quite unique. And Alex, you're you're kind of uniquely positioned to, to talk about this topic. What, what do you do for your day job,
3: Alex? My day job is I am the CEO and founder of a B2B e-commerce um, payments company called Rumble Ship Financial.
2: Awesome. Well, we're excited to have you here and, and to talk about this topic. You know, um, I you know worked for WP Engine in the past. I ran an agency, and I remember setting up B two B e commerce sites. and I don't recall spending a ton of time obsessing over the nuances and the differences, um, but I do recall you know going through projects where the funnels were quite unique, even the payment methods were quite unique. And I think for me, thinking back to those times so many years ago, I think it would have been helpful to to learn kind of what uh, other people are doing and how you should approach those strategies in a meaningful way. Um, But before we dig into that, Alex, I'm just curious, how did you get involved with all this WordPress stuff? What is your WordPress origin story?
3: Yeah, sure. So um, the way this happened is actually we we decided that the way we were going to first build RumbleShip was actually for WordPress because... Um, I mean, A, it was a really open platform, obviously, um, and that really let us sort of iterate and fail and make mistakes um, without, like, huge repercussions and investment in software So, and time. So WordPress is really just a great starting point for us, and it um, continues to be a place that we see a lot of revenue growth. So
2: for you, WordPress was essentially a bit like a medium, meaning that there were it was easy to deploy the solutions you were trying to deploy, and I'm guessing there were a lot of people using it. So your WordPress origin story is was a great answer to help you solve problems with your Rumbleship
3: product. Is that about right? Yeah, I mean, WordPress is so flexible that it sort of let us do whatever we wanted to the first time and learn, uh, you know, how we wanted to to really make this product grow. Um, And from there, obviously, we've spread out into, we have other, we have plugins for other platforms like, you know, Magento and you name it. So, but WordPress is really our start.
2: Good, good to know. So that's, that kind of leads into my next question, which is, you know, you told us a little bit about what RumbleShip does, but like, what problem are you trying to solve for businesses with RumbleShip?
3: Sure. So the best way to think about RumbleShip is if and I, I hope people listening to this podcast remember this time because otherwise I'm just dating myself. But if you remember using eBay before PayPal, um, basically what you had to do was you'd win your item. let's say you bought you know a unicycle and some juggling implements or something. I don't know. Um, and then you'd have to send the, the purchase your person you were purchasing these um, items from basically a check or a postal money order. And that is basically the state of B2B e-commerce today. Um, And I could get into the nuances of why that is, but basically the purchase sizes are large, credit cards are not adequate, and there's this idea of credit terms and invoicing that exists. But there's no real online way to do that. Um, So we do that for B2B e-commerce specifically.
2: Well, that's uh, simply put enough. I I think that totally makes sense. Again, having made those purchases and you're not making, uh, certainly some businesses even prefer not to use credit cards, but I think it was an interesting observation that credit cards are not a good medium with which to do that. Um, Okay. So that makes sense. So then let me ask this question though. So um, when people think of e-commerce, a lot of the times they think of physical goods. Are sure. you guys also addressing like subscriptions and digital products, or are you primarily focused on physical goods?
3: We focus specifically on physical goods. Um, the underwriting practices around physical goods are different than you know digital products or sort of virtual products as as they're often referred to. Um, um, and and honestly, the the payment. Um, methods around physical products are very different than digital products. You don't have to inventory virtual products versus having to inventory physical products, which requires capitalization to make that happen over time. So we really address that side of the thing of, of things.
2: Okay, gotcha. So, physical goods and really, again, the solution focused around facilitating um, those transactions for those types of products. Okay, so that makes sense. So, getting back to the strategy discussion for a minute, you know, again, as I think back to sites that I've participated in building, you know, one of the ways we got around this in the past was we just created leads and passed them off to. Uh, the sales team and then the, you know, magic accounting and pro- payment processing happened outside of the scope of the website or outside of the realm of the right. website. Right. Um, and so, so that's how I dealt with it. But I think, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot more people can do and in a lot more meaningful ways. So kind of to get real meta, kind of super high level for a minute. What Mm -hmm. do you think the number one lesson people should know um, about, say, the B2B product discovery? In other words, that funnel. How do they find the things on the site? How do you structure a site in a way that uh, is different maybe for a B2B user to help them with product discovery?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think these, these things really depend on... A, the type of products you're trying to sell. So, and how many SKUs you have, for example. So let's just take, um, sort of a distributor. For example, we have a distributor that we work with that is on WooCommerce and they have, you know, thousands of SKUs. And for them, you know, one of the things that we say to them is, listen, like you need plugins that, that put in list views so that you're, you know, I think they have 1400 retailers that we work with, um, can, you know, their retailers can just like select multiple items, add the quantities, and check out very quickly because they know what they want. Um there are other people, um, I'm dealing with a new company right now. They have, I think, eight SKUs. And they do um like a they have like a, a home and garden product line. And for them, it's much more reflective of a consumer experience where it's sort of like a grid view and there's browsing and then it's you know, you you put a few things in your cart, and maybe your invoice total is, I think, just south of a thousand dollars typically. Um, so those things are just are just they're different experiences. I mean, one of the universal experiences that people deal with in B two B e commerce though is you do have to have this idea of what's a de- called a dealer application because you do have to define the user role of somebody versus, you know, saying, okay, are you a consumer versus a, a business? Um, and so, for example, in our case, we only expose our gateway when we know the user role of a, of a customer.
2: So you're using an application process, the business or customer comes in, applies, they go through some sort of vetting process, they're given an account, and then from there, then they're granted access into the shopping experience.
3: Yeah, I mean that—that's not something that we, you know, invented. That's just a a thing of wholesale e-commerce. Sure, sure. Um, but but that still stands. Yes.
2: Okay, and then I thought it was also interesting to hear you talk about the notion of like browsing products and adding them to your cart, right? You could have a B to C site that has, you know, 10,000 SKUs and there's shirts and shoes and men's and women's and all the other different combinations, but you don't necessarily have this need to see a big list of them as an individual and then add different volumes of them to your cart, but as a business, you know, if you were buying, I guess, cups or plates or forks for your restaurant, you might need to do this in a a much uh, broader way, meaning looking at all the products in one view, picking their uh counts that you're gonna add to your card in one view, and not having this you know, uh, B2C shopping experience where you're kind of browsing through thousands of products to pick like the one or two or three that are good for you.
3: Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that I, I consistently tell people. I'm like, get a plug-in where if you're gonna do wholesale, make ordering fast. It's different than B2C. In B2C, you know, you're really talking about sort of the customer journey. With respect to like browsing and discovery and, you know, uh, what is the, the e-commerce experience like? In B2B, particularly sort of when you're dealing with lots of SKUs, it's about getting your, your your buyer in and getting your buyer out and getting them back to their business. Because any time they're spent ordering is really time they're not spent servicing their, their end user customers. So I think that's a critical distinction I'm not saying that your website should be ugly and it shouldn't have great product descriptions, great photos, all of those things, but I am saying that there's an efficiency factor in there that, that matters.
2: You know, it's so funny because people all the time will say, well, just optimize B2C, and that's the same as optimizing B2B. B2B people are people just like B2C people. Um, but the reality is that in a lot of cases, the way they interact with that information and choose it is much different than an individual searching for an individual product, or even a B2B person seeking for an individual product versus buying lots of things at one time.
3: Yeah, I mean, listen, customer motivations are, differently, are, are, are different, and your site and the experience has to reflect that
2: that's super valuable um everybody hang tight we're going to be right back after this message and we're going to dive in with alex to learn more about b2b e-commerce strategy hang tight and we'll be right back
1: time to plug into a commercial break stay tuned for more press this in just a moment
4: St. Jude continues to advance by increasing cure rates in childhood cancer. And donors are important to us because you get the feeling that you have a team behind you. When it comes to research and advancements, there are some things that only we can do because we have the resources and we have the focus. And so if St. Jude doesn't do it, who will? St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures. Saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Blog, blog. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're the talk of the town. WebmasterRadio.fm. Thanks for listening.
1: WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. Let's press forward with more Press This, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. All right,
2: everybody. Welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. Right before the break, we were talking with Alex... Uh, Lugosh about B two B e commerce strategy. Alex, I've been stumbling over your name all podcasts. Sorry about that.
3: No problem. Awesome. It's a, well, it, it's a great it's a great name if you want to avoid telemarketers.
2: Ooh, I like it. So my last name, of course, is Vogelpole. So I, I share this stumbling name problem with you. Um, but one one of the things I tell people is that when you learn it once, you never forget it. So in uh, that way, it's an asset. So. Um, Awesome. Well, cool. Right before the break, you were really sharing, I thought, really some interesting points around funnels and product discovery, particularly around the fact that a lot of B2B buyers need to buy a lot of things at one time and don't need this kind of product-by-product page um, experience of adding things to their cart. In other words, they're buying lots of forks or plates or whatever for their restaurant, and they need those views all in one. I thought that was super valuable. So. Earlier, I gave the example of a site that I had helped build in the past where we got around this notion of billing and uh, ordering and things like that by just basically collecting leads, having um, the buyer kind of give their contact information, talk to a salesperson, and facilitate it that way. And In our discussion so far, you've talked about it really being more of a site transactional thing. Um, what role do you view um, that leads would play in that model? Are you, are you really expecting the B2B to do it all online? Are they connected in some way that you see your clients deploy these strategies? Like, how should people think about leads? Or again, are they all trying to get the customer to do it all online?
3: Yeah, so I think what I'll say is the power of RumbleShip is this our first customer um, basically. They, they, they were a product company. They sold into the aircraft industry and the bicycle industry. And they spun up. They came to us and they said, hey, listen, we want to set up a B2B site. We can't do phone orders anymore. This is a, a drag on accounting. Like, it's a pain. And they were sort of two segmented businesses. They had one side of their business and the other side. And we said to them, okay, we're going to put RumbleShip into your B2B site. You're going to set up a user role. You're going to have an application. That's fine and basically all of a sudden they didn't have the need for an accounts receivable department or anybody to follow up on leads all of their orders just started going through their B2B and closing on their B2B and they were offer, able to offer you know net 30 net 60 terms on orders risk free and they had to do no offline transactions like the difference between RumbleShip and any other payment processor that does sort of B2B transactions is you don't have to have any more offline billing. Like it just happens online.
2: So obviously that's efficient, right? It requires less human time and mm-hmm. um, you have more accuracy, presumably. Um, but what about like the total order value and the revenue? Like wouldn't you think that a salesperson might encourage them to buy more? Is it a blend of these things? Again, what is? where, where do these two worlds um, collide, I guess, or complement each other?
3: Actually, when people use Rumbleship, they sell about 20% more.
2: And what do you think the reason for that is?
3: Um, I think that the reality here is that B2B buyers are younger than they've ever been, right? There's an entire generation of millennials who grew up buying things online. They expect to buy things online. Making a call to a salesperson, unless it's a super technical product, is not um, a time saver for them. It's actually, you know, it's a drag. It's another step they have to do. Then they have to do a phone order. Then they have to receive a paper invoice. Then they have to hand it to somebody in in accounting who has to close that loop. There's five other steps versus a one sort of click checkout and you're done. So the
2: efficiencies that the business is selling the products have, in other words, no human intervention to facilitate an order, that, those same efficiencies apply to the buyer. In other words, they can get up at 2 in the morning and place their order. They don't have to schedule a call with Sally, the salesperson, to jump on a call and process 10 other pieces of paperwork in order to get what they need.
3: That's right. I would, I'll tell you this. We do B2B transactions all the time over the weekend, probably 20% of our transaction volume happens over the weekend. Like who are you going to call on the weekend to buy your B2B stuff? I mean, that, you're, it's you're such an
2: acute problem for people. Um, even, even agencies, right? Where you're yeah. doing billable hours. You're like, Oh, we got a weekend coming up or a holiday. We'll make no money that week or that weekend.
3: That, that's right. Uh, right. With, with, if, with, with Rumble Ship, your uptime on your B2B site is 100% of the time. like, I see orders come through at midnight. <laughs> like, you know, uh, that's that's just a reality of this. Like, why? Yeah, I guess
2: unless you're working your salespeople to death, that's and, and even the systems that need to support that might not even be available at those times. Um, you're, you're never I mean, going to realize that without automating that process.
3: Right, and furthermore, I mean, you're not able to set up invoicing terms. You're not able to set up any of that stuff outside of regular business hours. And the way they do this typically is people will will fax you or email you some piece of paper that you have to fill out, email back, two weeks later they approve it or don't. And how good are, you know, product companies at making credit decisions? Like, that's not what anybody got in the the business of selling products to do. So, you know, it just doesn't make sense for a supplier of goods to be being the bank to, to act as the bank for their customers. Just, I mean, f- fundamentally.
2: So, what do you mean by that? Like, what do you mean in the terms of credit? I mean, you're talking about like net terms on invoices. Like, what that's do you right.
3: Mean? Yeah. So we we do that. Rumbleship does that. Like, this is not just a one to one ACH transaction. Rumbleship says, okay, great. You know, you put ten thousand dollars worth of stuff in your cart. We know who you are. You know, it takes you to, to the Rumbleship checkout. You choose your terms. Let's just say it's net 30. You immediately connect your bank account. You authorize the transaction. The supplier gets paid in advance. You get net 30. You get debited automatically on day 30. And all of your stuff arrives right away.
2: So for invoice billing... Um, you're saying that customers in in some of your flows can select their terms in terms of when the bill is due. Yeah. Um, Are you providing restrictions or authorizations? Like certainly the merchant still has to go in and allow them to have that and give them what options are available to them. You know, I'm guessing it, am I going to support like net 700 or something?
3: Not at Uh, all. How does that work in the lens of rumble? We do, we do all of that. Um, So the way we arrange a, with our suppliers, we say, what kind of terms do you want to offer to your to your buyers? And they say, you know, typically people would like to have net 45. We say, great. We, get, we, we take a look at their customer list. Everybody who's using their B2B site, we assign credit limits to everybody in advance. And as new applications come in, we assign limits to them, too. And then they are in the system. They're able to see the terms that are available to them. They're able to connect their bank account. And they're able to check out. So... Everybody has terms now um, that reflect their buying habits, and you don't have to manage any of this as a supplier.
2: So if I'm using Rumbleship or, I guess, self-serving and building my own flow for that, the gist, though, is that the merchant chooses the options for the customers, allows certain customers to have access to certain options, and then when the customers fill their cart and check out, then you facilitate uh, sending the invoice, and then I guess that's tied into their collections uh, group or systems in order to collect that invoice?
3: No, no, there is no invoice, actually. We pay them in advance, so we guarantee payment on every invoice every time, no matter what.
2: Oh, for the RumbleShip offering?
3: Yeah, and it's simply a choice of whether a buyer buyer can see RumbleShip as a gateway or not. That's okay, it.
2: that's an interesting approach. Um so, how, how do you justify that? Like how do you aren't you aren't you now giving the credit to this customer that we, you don't maybe do, you know so well?
3: We do give credit to the customer and we do have underwriting processes and, and vetting processes that happen almost automatically.
2: Okay, well, that's pretty cool. Um, that's, that's quite in-depth. So I guess if I was self-serving then, it would then be up to me to issue the invoice and collect on it and all those other things. But if I'm using Rumbleship, you guys offer the ability to essentially have that paid right away and then you collect on the customer.
3: Let me let me state it even more simply. If you have a B2B website and you don't want to have an accounts receivable department and you always want to get paid on every B2B invoice, you just use Rumbleship.
2: Okay. That's a really interesting approach to that. Um, So I do want to dive into this a little more regarding payment options and everything, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. We'll dive uh, in with Alex. Everybody hang tight and we'll be right back.
1: Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more Press This in just a moment.
4: Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Welcome to the Webmaster Institute for Financial Advancement, Webmaster Radio.fm. It's like radio with a PhD.
1: Webmaster Radio.fm. We're everywhere. Let's press forward with more Press This only on Webmaster Radio.fm.
2: Well everybody, welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. We are interviewing um, Alex Lugosh about B2B e-commerce strategy. Alex, right before the break, you were talking a little bit about invoice, net terms, and credit, and some cool things that RumbleShip is doing in that area. Sure. Um, But I guess my next question is just generally with B2B e-commerce strategy. You, you kind of mentioned that you know credit cards weren't really helpful for a lot of businesses for a lot of different reasons. Do you view credit cards as not having a role in b2 b e-commerce for physical goods, or do you view it like as a complementary part of it?
3: Um, listen, I mean, credit cards are an accepted payment method everywhere. I'm sure that's in a zillion visa ads or something, you know. Um, but the fact of the matter is, a credit card does not offer the the appropriate amount of capitalization and terms for b2b transactions i mean as a business you can spend hundred thousand dollars in one day right and you need to sell those goods over 90 days to recoup that in your profit um, and then as a supplier credit cards are very expensive to accept um, so it, it it's just it's not the right solution for b2b transactions um and, and that's why people rely on offline invoicing and billing for online transactions because there still has not there has not up until now recently been a plug a, a gateway that does all this for you and guarantees you payment so yeah i mean it's it's sufficient if you're selling you know a consumer level goods like like a few items that aren't that expensive but as soon as you cross a threshold of, you know, orders of five hundred, a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, it's just it, your limits run out.
2: Yeah, it's also you also then have to deal with the credit card companies and disputes on charges and things like that. Where with uh, payments via the bank, you don't have the same set of rules. They have to kind of dance with in regarding chargebacks.
3: It's a little different. I mean, NACHA uh, ACH transactions are different, but yeah, that's that's correct.
2: Right, they have their own set of rules, but they're different than the credit card ones, which are a little bit more consumer-friendly versus the Uh, merchant side.
3: Yeah, I mean, chargebacks are not a huge issue in B2B, just generally, um, because of the the nature of the relationship between buyers and suppliers and the longevity of those relationships. So, um, But, I mean, still, the thing you have to realize as a business, you know, if you're selling online... And you're 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 probably have customers then that are using the most expensive credit cards, which are to say business credit cards, where the rewards and the cost of servicing those cards is probably around three percent more if it's an Amex. And people usually don't realize that I I talk to suppliers all the time and I say, well, what's your blended credit card rate? And they're like, oh, you know, I think it's around, you know, two point two percent. I'm like, check that again. And they look at it and they're like, "Okay, never mind. You know, people aren't aware of what they're paying for credit cards, but it's very high.
2: Yeah, so the cost certainly is a big driver, especially when you start talking about those big ticket invoices. So earlier in the show, you kind of gave some examples of clients that you guys have worked with. Um, If I'm an agency or freelancer out there, um, what are the kinds of customers I should be watching out for as I think about, geez, I I probably need a unique B2B e-commerce strategy. What are the types of businesses you think people should be watching out for?
3: Um, you know, I I think this is this is something that I'll I'll point out. Listen, B2B e-commerce is growing at like 7.7% year over year right now. It's the fastest growing segment of e-commerce um that's happening. It's projected to top 1.2 trillion dollars by 2020. If I was an agency today, I'd be looking for B2B clients rapidly. Um I mean, businesses have money. Uh they're they they're going to rely on you it's a steady stream of income um i mean you know if you partner with a company like us the revenue shares are are good um i think there's just more opportunity there um and I, i think the reality is just on sort of more broadly that amazon has done a great job in the b2c space i think hosting your own b2c uh site Unless you know, I think you have to do it anyway, but unless you're really going to commit to making it a great shopping experience and that's daily work, um you're going to have a, a hard time competing. so you know from from the developer agency side, you know and we work with a lot of them, I'm seeing more and more b2 b work coming their way, and that's just a natural evolution. Look, people are going from paper catalogs that are five that are that are book sized to b2 b sites that just makes sense.
2: That's an interesting observation, that kind of notion of, well, hey, don't don't uh, try to focus your energy to pick off Amazon in the B2C space, but focus on the B2B space that's obviously significantly growing and a lot of opportunity there. And customers that rely on you, their customers also rely, right? B2C commerce is like, oh, I like the shirts or the brand or whatever, and then I don't. Uh, B2B is a little bit more. We need that thing to service our business. So um, it's a really interesting observation there. Well, Alex, we're out of time today, but I got to tell you, I learned a ton uh, talking to you about all these things, um, and I I think everybody else did as well. So thank you so much for joining the show.
3: Of course. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the time.
2: Awesome. And if you want to keep up with what Alex is up to, you can check out RumbleShip.com and check out everything they have going on there um check out the product as well and thanks everyone for listening to Press This the WordPress Community Podcast on Webmaster Radio as always you can subscribe on iTunes iHeartRadio or download the latest episodes at webmasterradio.fm again this was your host David Vogelpole and I support the WordPress community through my role at WP engine and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This